the Between Two Lines podcast, talking about performance, life and everything in between. Featuring your hosts, Johnny Stahl and Ash Hamilton. Thank you for joining Ash and I for episode 7 of the Between Two Lines podcast, where we talk about performance, life and everything in between. This week was all about goal setting with clients, setting not just goals, however, rather expectations and putting plans in place to help those we work with. The way we communicate to clients and patients is massive and Ash and I take a deep dive into a bunch of scenarios with some cool takeaways for each. This is sort of stuff which isn't really learnt at uni and in theory it seems like simple stuff until you have a variety of rather complex clients or stories, emotions sitting right in front of you. So it's a really cool topic and I'm really, really glad that we shared our thoughts, shared our information and shared our experiences above all. So it's time to get started, and I've got no doubt you'll find the talk today extremely interesting. Big dog, how are you, mate? Not too bad, man. Not too bad. What is it? Third of third of Jan. It's flying third already. Of Jan, we're buzzing. Twenty twenty-two. Start of the new year, the new work week of the new year. So, what's uh, what's that bringing you, big boy? What's the plans within that? For today, or just the year? um both really i guess more so the year um this year's this year's a big one i think um i think last year was kind of like digging in the trenches kind of finding out a lot of the linchpins to my own psychology a lot of learnings a lot of first times for things and i think this year i want to take the summation of lessons and things that i found and take it forward and, and really start actioning a lot of ideas that i've had for a very long time um so yeah, that, that's kind of 2022, man, is just action, 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 and kind of like bring a lot of these ideas to fruition. So it's exciting. It's it's also kind of nerve wracking because it's it's one thing to kind of have this idea in your head and then it becomes 2022 and you're like, all right, it's now the year that you said you're going to do those things. Have yeah. you started? When are you starting? So yeah, man. Yeah, it's like, so what about yourself? 2022, what's... um. What's kind of like the theme? What's the theme for you? Um, I'd say growth in terms of, I guess, a lot of things. Last year was my full year, first full year overseas. And um, I guess like a similar situation is trying to figure out like a new, new environment, new situation. Um, first time living with my part, like li- living with a partner. And, you know, it's been virtually almost a year and a half now since I've been here. So yeah, wow. just trying to just like processing all of that, which was um, pretty cool, pretty interesting. But now I'm, now I'm buzzing to start to really spread my wings and um i guess put my own flavor on a bunch of things here in berlin and mm. i guess with the online work that i'm doing and as you can see i got my party shirt out so yeah i got i got, a, I got a 15 of these horrendously colored and shaped shirts so um do you actually gee oh man and I, I i i might have like 10 here and i got probably at least another five or ten back in oz so um yeah man no i'm i'm, I'm super you- excited you just collect them or because I remember at uni, we used to have like shit shirt parties and like yeah. they were kind of like the vibe people used to wear, yeah. but I reckon they're, I reckon they're great. I would have, I would have taken everyone to the fucking cleaners at a shit shirt party. I can tell you that. Um, really? I, yeah. I got the shittest of the shit. I don't know. I just I actually bought this in Berlin maybe four years ago when I, I, I was here five years ago, I was here to visit with my um, two brothers and um, was just in a secondhand shop and bought like three, three of these um yeah, I guess sort of retro style shit shirts and it kind of became my style. Like every time I'd go out, like I remember going out to the SP every week with my mates, all my mates have like their button up shirt 
and there's slacks or whatever on and I'm just rocking up with a like one of these shirts on and all sweaty and just having having the time of my life just throwing that my is limbs everywhere. yeah gotta gotta Bar rock that style uh, yeah so I, yeah I learned at some point not to try and be anyone else other than myself so that feels way better my man so what about the hat the hat in the background the christmas tree hat that's is that that's a, is that a, <laughs> sorry <laughs> so, so for anyone let's see we've got um there's a can you see my christmas tree in the in the background is still up and there's just a hat on top because we forgot to buy a we got to Christmas Eve and uh, both my, my girlfriend's parents and my parents were coming over and we forgot to buy a star for the top of it. So she just put a, put a hat on top. It's like, yeah, that'll do. So um, yeah, poor us, but nah, life's good, man. Yeah, wow. Life's good. Um, I want to, I want to start the year, start the podcast with a couple of questions. First one, um, what were your biggest successes and fails with your training last year? What were the best and worst things you did? Um, I think uh, a failure in itself was I did not train nearly enough. I think mm -hmm. um, that that's definitely a big goal for 2022 is kind of take back to my own training. I think I, I fell out of fell out of love for training the, the last few years. Like still mm -hmm. trained, but it just didn't get me up and about like it used to. So I think that was definitely a massive kind of fail in itself. Um, I'm just trying to think specifically whether there was a certain protocol interventions I kind of did. And there's nothing that kind of comes to the forefront. Um, I started getting back on the cardio again. That was kind of like a, a fail in the start, just getting like my, my steady state cardio up. Um, but that also was probably one of the best things I did. Mm. And uh, I realized that the importance, not only of having a cardio baseline for health, but also how, how it makes you feel. Um, so yeah, I think that that was kind of like, as I said, there wasn't really much training done in 2021 to kind of like talk about, but um, they're kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Nothing really comes to mind, man. Um, I did a lot of trial, a lot of experimenting mm. uh, with my own training was like, you know, trialing and implementing some things that I would then implement in a rehab scene. So I kind of like was like, all right, if I'm not really going to train hard, is my training going to be advantageous in some way? And I kind of was a bit like, all right, let's see what this is like, you know, and I'm all about trialing something before you give it to a client. Um, so that was definitely something I played around with. What about yourself, man? How about your training? Did you, uh, did you train more than me? Yeah. Well, we had seven months of lockdown here and I, so I, I moved to Berlin from Australia and I just like on my third day here, I found a football club, a soccer club. And I just, um, I got to training. I, I trained super well. I hadn't played football for like a year and I somehow just, I was like, I, I won't even be able to lift my legs properly or touch the ball. And I was, I was played really well. And they're like, yep, come join our team. And then after like four or five games, the, the season got um, suspended or stopped because of COVID. And then I, um, I'd been sprint training um, before I moved to, to Berlin. And then I got back on that wagon and I just did six months of dedicated sprint training and so I did that three times a week. And I remember there were times where it was snowing. It had been snowing. So the the grass was literally ice and I was just trying to run on it. And you literally, you, you could not run more than 75, 80% of your max speed because you'd literally just slide. How do I explain this best? You'd take, you'd, you'd, you'd land on the ground. And then because it's, it's so slippery, you, you'd virtually just butt kick out the back and your leg would just fall out the back behind you. And so you'd end up just yeah. basically, you'd just, you'd just be doing this controlled 
chaotic stumble the whole time. So that was, but that was probably the biggest fail, but I was just still dedicated. I was like, I'm doing my three times a week. I don't care if it's minus eight, I'm going out, I'm going to do it. I'm going to just get it done. Um, and so that I, and then I guess some of the sprint training was, was amazing. Like I learned so much and that's the sort of stuff that I implement with clients now. Um, and it's been so beneficial just doing it for like a, a solid block of six months, really nine months. What kind of, um, what kind of distances? Uh, 60 meters max. I focus a yep. lot on the, on the technical side and I try a lot of different things. So, you know, for my own learning, but also experimentation for clients, like, as you were saying, and that was, that was amazing, man. Um, so there, there, there were some fails within it, but, um, also when you just like, I just put together a couple of different drills that I trial, like more change of direction drills and it just didn't work and kind of had to laugh a little bit, but that's all part of it. Like I do it with a mate a lot of the time who was in my team and just try some things like, yep. Okay. Sorry, mate, that, that was crap, but we'll just pretend that never happened. And yep, we'll kick yep. on. Um, but the, the, the ideal thing is you do that once and you do it on yourself and then you're like, yep. Okay. That doesn't work. Your brain doesn't forget that. And then you, you find an alternative and you start to use that with, you know, in your own professional practices. So that was, um, that was, yeah, that was a, a really, really interesting experience through, um, through the European winter to just be out three times a week sprint training and then yeah, wow. doing, doing some strength sessions because, because of the gyms were closed, people would just grab rocks and there was like this, you know, like a couple of bars and stuff like that. And people would just be using rocks and throwing rocks above their head and using, just using these massive stones for anything um just in the park it was awesome the creativity was amazing it was like almost like semi it was like strongman style strongman environment strongman setup with more controlled uh gym lifts so yeah wow um or like traditional strength lifts so yeah it was, it was, it was fucking cool actually now that i look back on that it was, it was a pretty cool experience um it's um yeah you continue continue no, that was it. Yeah, it's just it's just an interesting, just an interesting six months there where it was just yeah, everything and I was also new to the city. So I just kind of took everything as I was going. I didn't know my way around that well. So everything was all new to me. But I look back at that now and I was I just think that was quite quite funny, really. Like it's just pretty, pretty yeah. hilarious. But um it's, yeah, it's um awesome. It's prompted actually a few memories now I think about it. There's there's a few things I actually tried. So um it's not really uh I guess training, but I tried slack rope. Like, you know, the rope between two trees. Um, and that was an interesting experience. Like, you know, really kind of like learning to focus on the horizon and kind of like be able to modulate your feet in the right position without kind of like falling off and breaking your neck. That was something I tried. Another thing I tried was sandbag training. Um, mm. A good friend uh, from Melbourne, Laura Gould. Now she's going to kill me if I don't pronounce her last name correctly. But she got me into this, this, she's doing this, a lot of training by strong fit. Yep. And strong fit, they talk a lot about, and it's very interesting how they talk about kind of like parasympathetic and sympathetic kind of like chains in the body. And they talk about internal and external talk. And internal talk is kind of like, you know, being able to kind of like get that pronation, your adductors, your obliques, kind of like it's like a fascial sling in a way. And being able to kind of create this tension from like a bottoms up approach and you do a lot of sandbag carries. So she actually got me to carry, I don't know what it was, like a 40 kilo sandbag for 400 meters. And man, like I'd never done it before. And like in the beginning, it's it's cool, you're sweet. Like it's 40 kilos. 
But then as you do it, if you don't do it correctly and you don't create this, I guess, talk, this internal talk, you start feeling in your lower back. And you had to kind of like self-regulate and kind of like self-organize to get into a position where your lower back wasn't frying. Because man, your lower back would scream if you didn't do it the right way. But then if you did it the right way, it kind of recruited all these muscles. And the interesting thing is they say that this is correlated to more of a parasympathetic kind of like chain. And it's funny because afterwards I felt so calm, so relaxed and actually wanted to sleep kind of like a rest and digest. And it felt different to a, I've smashed myself. I'm tired. Now I feel like sleeping. It was a very weird sensation. So that was a type of training that I actually had not done ever before. And it's, it was a bit of a rabbit hole. I, I still have quite a desire to kind of get into. I've just been quite lazy. So that was, that was something I tried. And then an experience that failed was there's a gym in Melbourne called Pro Raw. And it, I guess it, it has, you know, state of the world, uh, state of the art uh, equipment. And me and my mate rock up and we, we saw it would just warm up on the calibrated plates with deadlifts. And we started warming up and then we started seeing these, I guess, smaller women, like, you know, half our size, not that you should ever judge a book. And man, they started chucking all this weight on the thing. We looked at each other and we're like, we're going to have to, we're going to have to go way heavier than we should today. And it's like, both of us were thinking like, you know, we haven't deadlift in ages. Like, let's just be sensible. Like, you know, set to 120 piss, piss weight, right? Next second, 160s on the bar. And we're like, you know, trying to keep everything tight. And man, by like the fifth set, we're both looking at each other being like, man, my back is that close to being fucked. <laughs> like we were like, and we can't just leave because we're like, we're at pro raw and we don't want to be the guys that just did five sets of deadlifts and left. So like we, we walk over to the pendulum squat and we both looked at each other. We're like, I don't even care. There's no weight on there. <laughs> and they're like, man. Yeah. It was one of those. There's a reason why you don't ego lift. And there's a reason say. why you, you warm up and do all the correct things. But that was kind of like a, it was a fun session, but also a stupid session. So that was definitely probably the standout stupidest thing I did with my training this year. I was going to say, it sounds like someone's ego got in the way. Yeah. And the thing is, it's like, it's not like 160 is a large amount of weight either. Like it's enough that you, you can get away with it, but it was also enough to kind of leave us being like, oh, yep, that does not feel good. I won't be bending over to pick up my shoes anytime <laughs> soon. So yeah, man. Funny. Let's uh let's tuck into some of the more serious stuff. Um, although we never try to be too serious, do we, Ashley? Um, and I think what, one one thing that we we really wanted to discuss was talking to clients and client goals and getting out what we need from the clients and also giving them what they want. So um, the way I see things is that you know I try to marry what they what I think they need and what they tell me that they want. And there's obviously a large process within that, or it can be a large process. And our goal is obviously to simplify that as much as possible, but also to be, um, you know, polite and I don't want to say charming, but, you know, show that we're trustworthy and they, that they can trust us and that they're in a good environment and, and all of that. So my question to you is how do you go about that? And how do you tend to negotiate different types of clients? So I'll give you two clear examples. One is a guy comes in, say he's a bodybuilder. I know that you've worked a lot with bodybuilding populations. 
and he's quite a proactive, let's say aggressive person. I don't mean literally aggressive mentally, but I mean physically in terms of, you know, he'd like to have a crack with his training and he's, he's quite, mm. you know, he likes to be quite aggressive with the training process versus someone who's particularly timid and fearful, perhaps not an, an avid lifter, maybe a runner who's had a long history of, of pain um, and has that kind of, you know, a, sort of a, let's say more of a chronic, chronic pain um, type presentation or response and her, her reactions to the pain and stuff really suggest that she's, she's sort of struggling in that sense. How do you go about managing and negotiating those two scenarios? Good question. And I think when you, when you look at the two different presentations, there's a few things you've got to take into consideration. And I think the first one is with the bodybuilder. They've, they've usually spent time in the gym. They're usually quite aware of movement patterns. They're usually quite aware of what's worked for them. And they've probably tried different approaches. Um, so with them, the first thing you've got to think about is buy-in. And it's like, if you were to kind of regress things or kind of take a slower approach and be like, look, we're going to work on basic movement patterns. I know you can do this, but we're going to strip it right back. You're probably going to lose them. Um, and the other thing you got to think about is how many tools or how complicated are you going to make things? And by complicated, I kind of mean giving things to people. Now, I always tell people that there's kind of like a continuum and it's like, I think nutrition's a great way to kind of like talk about this because it's like, how committed are you to nutrition? Because you can, you can talk nutrition with someone and by no means am I a nutritionist and I don't do meal plans, but it's like, do we just need to have a look at what you do? Like I, how aware are you of nutrition? And like, with a very regressed person who's not a bodybuilder, you might be like, all right, I want you to focus on having protein with every single meal you have, right? And it's like, that might be as much information you give that person until they tick that off or kind of become aware of it. And then they might come to you for the next bit of information. Or you're like, all right, you've done that. I'm now going to give you a little bit more. But with the bodybuilder, it's like they're prepared to do, you know, counting calories, counting macros, maybe counting micronutrients, maybe meal timing, maybe frequency, maybe a certain amount of meals, maybe modulating that through the week with, you know, high days, low days, non-training days, training days. You can, you can go a lot more aggressive with these type of people. And I think that when it comes to kind of giving them a little bit of what they need, you kind of drip feed it a little bit slower than someone who's been the latter where they're kind of like a chronic pain person. And I think with the chronic pain person, there's a, there's a different form of buy-in. And I think that's a lot more psychological. And I think it's kind of been like trying to understand where they've come from, what occurred around the time that they got injured. And a lot of the beliefs that they've adapted, uh, developed or maybe been conditioned by other practitioners, other influence, maybe Dr. Google, where there's potentially a lot of hesitancy. Because if they've had pain for a long time, you can't go ham, even if they have that, maybe in the past they used to go ham with like their training, you can no longer do that approach because there's a lot of hesitancy. So I think with that person, you kind of go back to the nutrition where it's like, I'm going to give you a little bit 
and I want you to get confident and you're either going to come back wanting more or I'm going to give you a little bit more when you've kind of ticked that box. And I think that's where, you know, getting someone to do a movement pattern that they might be fearful of, showing them that they're going to be okay and then ingraining that confidence, I think is kind of like the starting point and it's giving them a lot more of what they need and a little bit less of what they want. Um, and I think that's kind of where the two individuals really kind of like are separate is because of getting to know who they are as a person and obviously the presentation. And that's why, you know, you should treat every individual differently because as while they could be the same individual, you know, A1 and A2, both bodybuilders, but one has that presentation and the other doesn't, even though they're the same person, you got to treat them differently. Um, what about yourself? Does that kind of, is that similar? Does that, would you challenge any of those, that thought process? Yeah. So I guess I look at it very similarly and also quite differently in some ways. Um, I, I think the, the understanding, and we spoke about this in a past episode when we discussed client psychology, understanding how they will perceive their environment, perceive the situation, perceive the intervention is really, really important. Right. And then, so on that, it's really important. I find for me, it's it's really paramount to assess and analyze them as they're speaking, as I ask the questions, gauging their responses. It might be like a nonverbal response. They might sort of cringe a little bit or they might sort of frown a little bit or they might, I don't know, open their eyes or squint a little bit. These are all little kind of gestures, unconscious gestures that that kind of indicate how they're feeling, I find. So that's that's one thing that's really important because once I once I start to see that and I, I start to gather that information, perhaps more than nonverbal mm. information, but also the verbal information, their tones, the way they speak, the um, let's say like the intensity or the energy or lack of energy with which they respond, though all those sorts of things make a massive difference. And when you get someone who comes in and, and discusses their pain and goes, Oh yeah, just got this fucking problem. Like it's, yeah, feel like I've, I've been struggling for ages, man. It's been like five years, but, yeah, yeah, should be right, should be right. And, you, you know, you can kind of, you can pull the reins in on that person, but you can probably also, you can play their game a little bit, right? Because they, mm. it, it sounds like if they've had a problem for, for a number of years, they probably need to be told something pretty serious to, to get it a little bit more in line. But you can also perhaps do it in a, in a slightly more informal way that's going to resonate with their personality and probably what they want. Whereas if you get someone who comes in and is more timid and um, quite fearful, I'd be conscious not to speak too loud. I'd be conscious to, to really focus on the wording and to really look to empower them as quickly as possible yeah. and in as in as many different ways as possible. And so the the example that you had of um of getting them to do an exercise that they might be fearful about and then just showing them by like and using that essentially to prove to them that you know they're not damaged mm. and that they're totally okay. And even, you know, even going one further on that, actually just getting them to do the exercise, saying nothing or, or even better, getting them to think about something else. You ask them a question, be like, I, I, I don't know, how does your, um, just to get them to focus on their breathing. If you, if you kind of notice they're not, they're not particularly a great breather and say they've got knee pain or back pain and then they're, fo they're so consciously focusing on their breathing that they forget to think about their knee or their back. Mm. And then after you go, how is your back? And they go, yeah, fine. Why? And like, yep. Yeah, okay. Well, you wouldn't have done that. So now I've just proven to you that you can, right? Mm. So there, there's so many different ways to go about it, but I find as early as possible, asking them what they want 
so that the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The expectations, sorry, have been set very early and I'll, I tend to be pretty direct and blunt, man. Like I'll, I'll just say to someone, you know, I'll ask them about the, I'll go through the subjective, um, the subjective assessment or the questions, and then I'll poke and prod a little bit to get the extra information I want or feel is necessary to that, um, Mm. to that situation. And then I'll basically say to them, okay, what do you want? Like, what, what do you expect from me? How, how, how can I help you? You know, I, I find just being quite direct. It also sets a, a certain, you know, I'm not always like that, but I find that just being like that, it, it cuts out a lot of the bullshit and just gets us to where we need yeah. to be a little bit quicker. Um, and yeah. I, you know, some people, some people are kind of a little bit shocked and then I'll just giggle and, and smile and show them that I'm, you know, I'm not being that serious. Like I'm serious about the question, but I'm not, I'm not that serious as a person or a personality. But mm. um, sometimes I just say, all right, well, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? How can, what's the expectation here? And as soon as you get that out, it's, it starts to really um, add a, I would say a more productive note to the process. So from the get go, you know, kind of no fucking around this guy means business. Let's just get the stuff done. Yeah. And I think, um, I think being direct is extremely important, especially with those timid people you said, you mentioned about the words, and I think you're spot on because there's times where someone comes into the clinic and you can just tell by the words that they use and words are so powerful because, you know, I was doing this thing the other day and it's like, I hope I, I remember it where it was like, I want you to visualize something and I want you to say, I hope that happens. Now I've completely forgotten the next part of the story, but it was like, and then I want you to um, expect it to happen. And how does that make you feel when you say hope versus expect? And it's a complete, completely different way you feel, but also changes the way, in, uh, the way you envision what you envision. And when you hear someone come in and the words they use, and you can just see that it's, it's very negative, it's very apprehensive, there's a lot of fear there. You sometimes have to very change your approach. And when I when I do that, I completely rule out any diagnosis. I don't use diagnosis. I don't use anything that could then they could go and Google and look up or things that could make them a lot more fearful. I kind of like try to make it all sunshine and rainbows because they want reinforcement that they're not going to get better or that they're in a bad place and this sucks. And I think that's something that's extremely important to pick up on but also when you're talking about being direct is sometimes you'll find, and listening is the most important thing with our job, but sometimes you need to pull them up and not let someone ramble because sometimes people want to ramble, ramble, ramble. They want to go on these tangents and you've got to kind of like hold them. They're like, Nope, get them back on track and get to the point. Kind of like, as you said, because sometimes these people will just talk and talk and talk, but it's not proactive for both of us. It's not giving us more information that's going to help. It's just going to further reinforce that they don't believe they're going to get better or they don't feel like they're in a good position to get better. So I think, um, yeah, man, I think being direct and that's something that I think I struggle a little bit with is that sometimes I'm a bit soft on the edges where I won't go bang unless it's a very specific particular client. And I think that's with bodybuilders. You can be a lot more like, you know, straight up be like, nah, that sucks type thing or be very direct and be like, nah. Whereas I feel like other individuals, it's, it's sometimes hard to be quite direct because you don't want to come across in the wrong way. 
yeah, you don't offend them. You don't want to come across like a like an arrogant dick or anything like that. And oh, just an arsehole, yeah. Mm, that's, that was the other word I would have used. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's 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 it is a very very interesting topic because there's so many nuances to it. And what's super interesting about this topic now that we're you know right you know real deep into it is that none of this stuff gets discussed at uni. I did a communication some communications topic at uni, which is completely. I don't know, it's it completely fucking useless, really. But um, now that you think about that, like I focus so much on communication. I think I think communication can solve virtually every problem in the world. And when, you know, it's something I focus on massively, like in terms of relationships as well, like but sometimes it means biting my tongue and not just um, letting out, you know, what the ego wants to or, or reacting as the ego wants to. And sometimes it means just listening. And i got to say one thing that this podcast has taught me, man, is to to really listen. Like I listened back to the first podcast or, or, or the first episode or two. And I just kept saying like, yeah, mm, mm, or just trying to jump in. Cause I was super excited. And I just, um, <laughs> it was such a profound, um, it was such a profound learning because I just, I just, yeah, I didn't like how it sounded. So since then I've just been really focused on listening, 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 um, not just during the podcast, but also, you know, yesterday my, my parents were, here visiting and my dad was telling a story and I was super keen to add my part to the story. And I was like, no, just listen, hear it out, hear it out. And at some point I did jump in, but I tried to really, you know, when I felt it was more necessary and I tried not to just jump in and get too excited, rather hear him out. And you relate that to client to, to the clients or patients that we've been working with. It's such mm. a, a similar scenario and it, or it's more or less exactly the same. And you're right in the sense that sometimes we do have to cut them off just to make sure that, they don't ramble down the wrong road. But yep. generally speaking, I think it's really important to hear them out and listen to them. Yeah. Because, because what happens is when we ask a question, and this is one thing I've really noticed recently discussing, um, you know, various things just with my family, because we've had loads to catch up on and we've had loads of interesting stories to tell is you ask a question, which is related to that topic or to the story which then rolls into another topic or story. And all of a sudden you never got back to the initial, the initial topic mm. or question or really, you, you never really finished uh, unpacking that. And I find that that is something that's really important. That's where listening is super, super important. Listening, observing and, and almost analyzing. And then, as we said, using the right terminology and the right tone, but also having a, a human feel to it. Like a, one thing that, again, you just don't learn in uni is that, you know, we're, we're all the same type of human, but we're all very, very different in the same way. And that within itself, and this goes sort of back to the communication side of things, that within itself, in my opinion, is a real art. And there's got to be some real nuances in, in the communication strategies, the tones, <clears throat> almost like the different personalities or shirts. So you know, the, the metaphorical party shirts or, or business shirts that you put on for the different person. Um, that's so, so, so important. How do you, how do you find that? In terms of like kind of putting on different personalities depending on the client or. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, um, I think it's one of the reasons why our job can be so draining, but in a good way. And like draining has a negative connotation to it, but it's because you have to be present and you have to listen and you have to kind of take on 
that person's kind of energy and how they tell the story because you know you have those clients where their energy you're up and about but then you also have the other uh, clients where you have to show a lot of empathy and you have to show your understanding and you can see the impact that it's had on their life and you've got to be able to kind of like kind of go to their level otherwise it's going to be a bit weird if they're kind of like you know sharing their struggles with you and you're like you know you're up and about you're like yes sweet no worries like it's not going to come across the right way. And I think having to mold into these different personalities or masks or depend, meet them where they are at, it, it can be quite tiring. And, and like, that's why like at the end of the day, sometimes you don't feel like socializing. You just kind of got to be like, digest, have a breath, be like, wow, that was a big day. And I, I remember a mentor, Andrew Locke saying, he's like, after a day, it's like, I just turn off my phone because he's like, I've just been so present and I've given like my energy and to be there and to listen, it is quite, I guess, draining, but again, not in a bad way. It's just, it's just what's involved, I think, in this profession. That's how it is. Yeah. Yeah. One yeah. thing, one thing I, I learned here once I started working in German. So when I moved here, I could speak good German. Like I could, you know, I'd say it was pretty fluent, but then once you start working, you know, in, in injury rehabilitation and with pain and with different presentations, there was a shitload more to learn because that in itself is virtually its own language. Right. And so yeah. luckily coming from deriving from, from Latin, a lot of the, the words are really similar um, between German and English. So that was really helpful, but just getting across what I needed to sometimes whilst also perhaps making linguistic mistakes for those that, mm. you know, really needed it. And I saw a lot of people, particularly around the COVID um, lockdown time about a year ago, that people that were just really suffering mentally and physically. And to to be able to, you know, kind of show them that I was there to just basically put that, put that metaphorical arm around their shoulders and just be like, yeah, well, I'm with you. That was super, super important. And it meant that I had to really, really think about my communication strategies, particularly in a different language. It's not my native tongue. And that was, mm. that was a really, really interesting experience. It started initially, obviously, when I, when I first started working in German, trying to actually be able to say what I needed to say. And there were a lot of words that I just didn't know that I had to you know, really learn quick, smart. And then grammatically, it's a different language it's a massively different language, but um, anyway, and and then trying to actually have the empathetic and the kind of show the emotional side in that language is was just yeah, it was, it was, it was a really really interesting experience because it's it's not easy and people don't think about that right. Like we're talking about mm. how difficult it is to be able to do that just just generally in your native tongue, and some people can do it, and some people are just not good at it, and that's okay. They have strengths and and you know supreme qualities elsewhere. But yeah, that was a real learning for me to, I just wanted to add that on because I just, it just stimulated so many different parts of my brain, I guess, and, and made me think so much more deeper about how important communication is in our profession and just generally, yeah, well. you don't need to be that good at a language actually, I think, to be really good at getting your point across. So the question then becomes how, how simply can you do that? And that's also, I know I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here, but fuck it. Um, the, the, that, that kind of also made me realize like how, how little can you cue to 
to get what you need across to them? Mm. And, or how mm. well can you just set things up? Can you set the environment, the situation, the task, the individual, all of it? How well can you set it up so that regardless of how good or bad your language skills are, you can just get your point across as, as you need to? And in theory, like I kind of wish every every coach or practitioner would have to experience it because it makes you really think critically about like the shit you might say. And, and we all do it to an extent. We all get really excited and we all mm. ramble and we all have that, you know, that element of the ego that wants to just kind of let out their own story and blah, 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 which is totally fine. It's only human. But but it's it's a real lesson in communication and and client, let's say like client or patient management and negotiating, yep. I guess, their emotions in order to get the outcomes that you want for them. So super interesting topic. Yeah. Yeah, that that um as someone who absolutely sucks at German, um I couldn't even imagine German or English. Because it was times <laughs> oh, a bit of both, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's like um when I when I was then Max who was Swedish and she wanted me to learn Swedish and I was just like, oof. I mean, it just wasn't happening for me. But that being said, like, I think the the key that you said was it's one thing to be able to break down and articulate when someone asks what's going on in your own foreign language, in your own language, I mean, but to do it in a language that's not, not I guess, that comes naturally, you really would have to be like, how can I articulate this in a way that understands but also in a way with my finite, I guess, words that I have to use. So I think that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's extremely impressive, man, because I think that's one of the hardest things in our profession is how can you break down what is going on in a way that they understand? And I think that's one thing that unis tried to get across was, you know, you got to use words that, uh, was it jargon? Is that is that the words mm-hmm. they usually use? They that kind of jargon. like... Yeah, that's it. You got to avoid jargon, but you, I don't think they kind of emphasized it enough because you might have one condition that you're very good at explaining, but then someone walks through the door and their knowledge of the human body or anatomy or anything is completely non-existent. And it's like, how can I get them to understand? Not just, yep, yep, yep. Cause you see that sometimes but in a way that they could then relay that information. And I think that in itself is quite a energetic process because you have to really think about the words you're going to use, but then you also got to think about where they're at in terms of someone who's very apprehensive is the words I'm using going to reinforce the apprehension or is it going to make them feel better and more confident and empowered? So yeah, man, it's, it's a very, it's a very draining process. Um, and I think that like kind of goes on well to like where we also wanted to talk about is goal setting and kind of how to set up a client for success. Um, because no matter who you're working with, I believe you should create a game plan and that someone should know or have some rough idea about where they're going. And it's not that just this, all right, I need to see you this many times to potentially get you out of pain. It's like, why do you need X amount of sessions and how do you kind of go about setting that person up for success? So my question to you is how do you kind of go about the goal setting or setting up that initial consult for further consults and for getting them from A to B and setting up that game plan? Like 
how do you go about things? So I think one thing that I've, I've always tried to do, or at least particularly over the past few years is to really outline, you know, figure out what their end point is. I mean, that should be pretty obvious as a, as a coach. Um, so figure out what, what their, what their desired end point is or their desired goal is, right. Let's say like their end goal, then you can start to reverse engineer it from there. So you work backwards and you figure out the steps from, from there. That's one thing. The second thing is to, to try to really understand what they actually want. So one thing is a goal, but another thing is actually kind of understanding that goal. Do you know how I mean that? It's like, so they might say like, I want to be able to um, play with the kids again. You'd be like, yeah, cool. Okay. They want to be able to, I don't know, pick their kid up or something, but it's like, no, okay. What does playing with the kids mean? For one person, it might be playing Lego. The next person that might be actually playing two hours of soccer out on a Saturday afternoon, they're totally different requirements, right? So that means that all of a sudden you have to add, you have a bit more context, which might inform your decisions around programming and training and the rehab process for them. The, the other thing I think is so, so firstly, let's just summarize that. So having an endpoint and reverse engineering it into sub goals and clearly ideally clarifying how long it might take roughly. So, I mean, I think just putting, putting definite um, time timelines and everything is, is, is naive, but if you give people a rough structure and say, this is what I anticipate, obviously it depends how you respond to the initial intervention, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty good way to get them on board. The second thing I find, and this is something I've, I've, I'd say I'm pretty good at is at the end of each session, just doing like a little session recap and just showing them and really highlighting and reinforcing in a summarized version, the progress that they made within that session and mm. what that progress has is going to allow them to do over the next week or two. So say, yeah, okay, you learn how to, um, to hip hinge today, how to move through your hips rather than just extending your knees or um, like on the way up or just using your back and, and arching your back or rolling your back. So now that means that we can start to integrate that into a full body movement, which is going to get you back on the pitch. This is an example off the top of my head. So because then they can start to, to um, what's the word I'm looking for, to, to sort of conceptualize that and it adds a, a sort of a, a bit more context within their personal picture. And then I think one thing that I've, I've struggled with or I, I'm, I'm really conscious to get better at is when someone does have quite a serious issue or movement problem, to actually be really upfront as early as possible and just say, look, this is going to take a while. Whereas I think mm. I've probably tried to, I've, I've probably gotten a little bit excited and thought, yeah, let's see how quickly, you know, I can make some positive change. But the problem with that is the way that what you're thinking might be really different to what the client is, is perceiving or hoping for. So that's, that's where I've I noticed in the last year or two, man, I've definitely perhaps made a couple of errors that I, that I'm really conscious on really conscious of now which is which is you know it's good that i made those mistakes then in that sense um to learn from them so yeah that's that's definitely how i'd go about it firstly reverse engineering secondly showing them the next step proving showing the progress based on that pre you know that last session and then also just outlining it again how about you yeah well it's, it's very similar and i think there's a few things that i, I think i've learned myself and the first one, obviously, with the, the importance of reverse engineering. And uh, there's a few examples where let's just say someone has knee pain, they want to get back to running. And you, throughout the session, you do a certain exercise and maybe it's on the ground. 
and they have quite a lot of difficulty. And if you kind of say to them, look, in order to run, you probably need to be able to hop or skip. And then if you can skip, you then need to be able to hop. And then you need to probably be able to do something standing and then maybe go from maybe reverse that back to maybe a half kneeling saying, and then you're on the ground and you'd be like, well, can you see that you have quite a lot of difficulty doing this exercise? And if they say yes, be like, and if they want to go back to running straight away, you can be like, well, in order to be able to run, you need to be able to do X, Y, Z. And you're having a lot of difficulty with this. Running is kind of going from zero to 100. Can you now see that we're not quite there? And I think when you paint that out, and I talked on a previous podcast about it makes sense, you suddenly start not dissolving someone's unrealistic expectations, but you start bringing them on a realistic ride and it helps them kind of be like, all right, I now see where I am, but it also motivates them to do the homework and the, the, the rehab stuff, which leads me on to my second kind of learning in the last kind of like 18 months is I think when I started out, I was very big on not giving people enough sessions. I would be like, all right, I want you to do this and let's touch base in like two to three weeks. If you do the work, that should be enough time. You shouldn't need more guidance if you touch base in the videos that I make sure you're doing the right technique. But I think sometimes as a coach, a therapist or someone in charge, you need to kind of take the reins a little bit more and kind of like look at that individual and be like, are they really going to probably be as compliant as you would like them to be? Like what is optimum? What is realistic? And sometimes being like, I need to see you in a week just so that they have that initial compliance. They're more motivated to do it. So they don't fall off the wagon because I think what I learned early on was I'd say two to three weeks, they'd be like, yep. Then they'd kind of like put it at the back of the mind because there was no urgency. And then when we touched base, they weren't where I'd expected them to in three weeks. And if I maybe said, let's see you in a week, we could have like got ourselves back on track and kept that momentum going. And I think that would have been a better service, even though it's more sessions, it would have got them to where they needed to go a lot faster. And I think that was kind of like what I wanted to say. My third point is kind of seeing where someone is at, because you know, with that bodybuilder, you might just need to give them the game plan and they go away and they do it and they execute and they don't need to be touching base that much. But with another individual, they might need a lot more guidance and kind of like check-ins and accountability. And that's where kind of like tailing it really to that individual is going to make a big difference. Because like, as you would know, there's no magic exercise if they don't do it. There's no magic exercise if this person has a lot more barriers to work with. And that's another thing that I learned was in the beginning being like not wanting to take things away from people. I mean, like, yeah, if you do this, you can do that. But sometimes I think you need to be direct and stern and be like, look, that's too much interference to where you are right now. And I think that's something that I know a lot of things that have shaped me and I guess in not so positive ways, like you hear a lot of therapists that just want to see people all the time and they're doing it from a business standpoint, not necessarily because that person needs it. And the other thing is, yeah, And then the other thing is you always hear that people take things away from people that they love. And you're like, I don't want to be that guy either. And while there is a thousand tools you can do to modify, uh, give variants, change things up, do something that's very similar to enable that person to keep doing 
what they love to a degree. I think sometimes you need to be like confident enough to be like, hey, not right now. And realize that that's not doing a disservice, but it's actually going to get that person back to that thing a lot faster than trying to play this balancing act of, yeah, you can, but because unless you have full reins of things, it's very hard. I found it. And that's what I think for 2022 is I think I'm going to be taking the reins a little bit more and being like, I want to control all the variables and having certain people manage different variables, I think can also be doing a disservice to the person. Yeah. 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 I think, I think it's, it's, it's all about how it's communicated and how it's framed. So I'll, I'll either just say when someone asks me, Oh, should I still run, you know, whilst I'm doing these exercises, I try and I try to allow them to do everything possible mm-hmm. or as much as possible. Right. One, obviously the, the mental side, they'd like to do it, but also phys- more physically there's, there's, you know, let's say there's generally benefits to, to most of the stuff, most of the things that they're doing when there's not benefits, when it's actually detrimental, that's when you have to ask the question. Mm. The biggest question for me that tends to come out of that, well, there's two really. One, is it generally detrimental? Like, is it just shit for them? I would say that's actually a very unlikely scenario or quite an unlikely scenario, um, but it may happen. And that's where you just have to communicate that very clearly and with examples because people don't, people don't resonate with our talk the way we speak. They resonate with examples that are relevant to them so that they have mm. context with their life doesn't nothing else matters except for context of their life in my opinion the second thing is if if someone does say to me oh, whilst i'm doing these exercises if i'm doing you know these daily exercises or three the your strength program three times a week strength and rehab program should i still maybe go for a couple of runs i might say for the next week or two weeks let's hold off on the running as much as i don't like to let's just hold off just very briefly just to see what effect we get because the challenge is if they're not better is if they're not better, but you're quite confident that they, that they should have some form of, you know, significant or, or clearly measured progress and, and they don't have it, then often it begs the question, what, what else is, is playing a role? I mean, obviously the intervention yep. can be, can be crap, but I think I'd like to think that we're past that in, in the vast majority of scenarios. But I think that the question is, is what intervention may be interfering with that or, or what, sorry, what, um, modality of, of exercise or movement or loading so yeah mm. it's 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 never easy because i think you and i again we, we like to be quite proactive and aggressive with rehab just generally and allow people to do as much as possible to really empower them and show them that rehab isn't passive um passive mm. sitting down like a lot of people think so it's it's all in the communication it's all in the context and 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 i guess framing it for their benefit relevant to making it relevant to their life and also just empowering them through, I guess, that empathy and emotional connection. Yeah. And I think that if you are going to try and push the boundaries and like, you know, you might have athletes that need to compete on the weekend or they can't afford to have rest. I think that's where the game plan and communication needs to be even stronger because it's like, if we're going to do this, there's no there's no margin for error it's like you need to do this 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 and this and you need to put in the right interventions the amount of rest you need to be like if you're going to do this it's no more than this like you need to do this at a certain percent etc because i think that 
with a general person, there is always a margin of error, even though we don't really highlight that. It's like, I want you to go aggressive. I want you to do these things daily. But I know at the back of my head, if they don't do it daily, it's not going to necessarily be a negative thing. But when you're trying to balance this act of doing and continually what you love, you need to follow that game plan and there's not much margin for error. Because when you're playing that game, the risks increase and they need to be calculated. And that's where the communication needs to be even stronger. It's like, I need you to potentially video everything you do. I need you to report back how you feel afterwards in the next day. And I think that if you don't feel like you're getting that communication or form a commitment with someone, then you as a practitioner, a therapist, a coach has to kind of weigh up, is it worth for that person letting them have a little bit more control or do you be like, nah. And that's where I think, yeah, it comes down back to that who's the individual in front of you. Yeah. And how you're communicating that all just, that's got to be, I think that's it. That's a perfect example of where you've got to be super clear, super blunt and super direct and just be like, look, if you want to perform on the weekend, this is what you have to do. Send me a video of every exercise, please message me in the morning or even better. I'll message you as a reminder. If you can't think about it, if you can't think it up to let me know how you recovered, because that will dictate the next day. Otherwise we might go down the wrong path. And then you're not going mm. to the path of a successful weekend, but going on the path of a shitty weekend. So, you know, I, you might be a little bit more eloquent with the discussion, you know, uh, that, that conversation, but um, I think just us discussing it now, you know, you kind of highlights, you've got to be pretty direct with it. So yeah, man, yeah, it's good, good way to wrap up the pod. Um, another, another one done, my man, we're flying. So I've absolutely got to got to hit the toilet i'm dying to pee i don't know about you but last week last week was really funny we both just ran away for like five minutes um something no one talks about with one take podcast but it's a, it's a serious issue that i'm i'm trying to i'm trying to find a solution for but anyway we'll um we'll figure it out by next week hopefully so it's it great to good chat once again man great to chat pleasure man that we're super passionate about have a lovely evening and we'll be back on next week take care the Between Two Lines podcast, talking about performance, life, and everything in between. Featuring your hosts, Johnny Stahl and Ash Hamilton. Ash Hamilton.